We have a really special episode today of Go and Make. We are joined by our chief shepherd, Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky, and we asked him to share with us a little bit of his own faith story, how he came to know and love Jesus, about his vocation to the priesthood, his experience as a bishop. And we talked to him about evangelization, about where we are in the church, the challenges and struggles we face, and how we can all go out and be more fruitful evangelists. So without further ado, uh, just a reminder to like and subscribe to the Go and Make podcast. Go ahead and give it a rating in the App Store or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a way to help other people find the Go and Make podcast. And of course, if you're enjoying it, go ahead and share the podcast with your friends. Share it with people in your parish because you can't make disciples alone. We all need to be part of an evangelizing community. So go ahead and share it, talk about it with your friends, use it for conversation, and become that missionary disciple that the Lord is calling you to be. Welcome to Go and Make from the Archdiocese of St. Louis, equipping you to live the great commission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations. All right, welcome back to the next episode of Go and Make. We are really excited today to be joined by the Chief Evangelizing Officer of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, Archbishop Rosansky. Glad to have you here with us. Brian, thank you, and thanks for this opportunity to get together. I look forward to sharing with you and uh, with our listening audience. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been fun so far. We've gotten some good uh, feedback from the listening audience as far as just feeling, you know, our, our tagline is equipping disciples for mission, and I got a call just yesterday from a, a young woman who uh, said, you know, I, I'm a convert, I'm, I'm in love with Jesus, and I listened uh, for four hours straight in the car, which I don't really recommend for anyone. I don't know if it's good for your health, you know, four hours straight of this, but she said, I just feel fired up to get involved in my parish in a way I wasn't before. So I think as we get this project started, it's been a great way to try to, to reach some people and and get the evangelizing idea and vision out there for people. So it's really, really great you're here with us because uh, as Archbishop, you are uh, the one to set that tone and really lead us in evangelization. And we're grateful, I'm grateful in particular, that you've really uh, called us to that as part of all things new. But really your whole tenure here, you've been saying, uh, I remember your opening homily, you said you can't evangelize from behind a desk and really challenging people to get out and get into uh, everyone's day-to-day -day lives and, and preach the gospel. So thank you for that. It's been really great to have you. Thank you, Brian. And just to say, you know, I think in our world today, we, we tend to look for the things that are miraculous and the spectacular that happens. And yet our lives are lived in our everyday lives, our, our families, our communities, our workplaces. And that's where the miracles really happen if we merely look for those miracles. And so part of that miracle is bringing the Word of God to others by the witness of our lives. And one of the things that uh, Pope St. Paul VI said way back in 1967 in uh, one of his encyclicals is that this world does not need teachers, but witnesses. So our teaching is really the way we witness to the faith, and that's evangelization. If a person is able to even speak about his or her faith for a little bit to someone else, to share that faith, that's evangelization. If a person participates in the service projects of his or her church or school community, 
for the, the sake of being present as Christ, that's evangelization. Evangelization doesn't mean necessarily that a person has to be a theologian or has to have a degree or a master's degree in theology, but rather that the person is really willing to be a disciple of Christ and to live that witness each and every day in the world. It's not in the spectacular. It's not as hard as we make it. Sometimes. And it's not as hard yeah. as we make it. That's right. right. But it's consciously living as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2023 and beyond. One of the things we've done on the show in the past with past guests is we've kind of asked them how they were evangelized. So could you share with us just a little bit of your faith story? Obviously, your vocation story is a part of that, but also just who taught you the faith? Who made you know Jesus maybe in a more personal way? So I, I really, I grew up in what would be called today a, a pretty homogeneous neighborhood. So most of the people in my neighborhood were of Polish descent. Uh, there were many there as I was growing up who were uh, really the refugees from World War II, who were displaced from the uh, World War II, who emigrated from Poland to the United States. Uh, there were those uh, in the neighborhood who had been second, third generation Poles like myself. And uh, the church really was the center of our lives. It was not only the religious center, it was the social center, the cultural center. Uh, it was, of course, our education. All of that centered around the parish. So it was very much like those uh, Eastern and Western European immigrant parishes uh, that had really thrived for decades in the United States. I kind of look at, at my generation as probably being the last of that generation to grow up uh, in such a place. But the, the church was ever-present. Christ was ever-present. And I grew up with my parents teaching me my prayers. I remember each night kneeling down beside my mother or father, praying, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be, and the Angel of God. Before I got into bed, that was our nightly ritual, praying grace at meals, praying the rosary. So I would say that my vocation story comes from being imbued with the Catholic faith and the practices of the Catholic faith. And that's what led me into uh, feeling that call to the priesthood and in responding to that call to the priesthood. Yeah, and again, it's not that hard, right? The domestic church kind of being the first formators of the faith, and obviously your your parents lived that for you. Mm-hmm. They certainly did. As uh, as you got a little bit older, uh, how did you first maybe hear or discern that call to the priesthood? Well, you know, I think it was always with me. Um, from a young boy, I felt uh, called to the priesthood, and it was a natural step for me to go into the seminary. Uh, I finished college and was even more uh, committed to the priesthood, so I went on to the to major seminary and uh, was ordained as, as a priest and just felt that was so natural. It just felt like a natural calling, a fulfilled calling. Um, and uh, I remember somebody saying to me on the day of my ordination, I've never seen you look so happy as on this day of priesthood ordination. And I think that kind of summed it all up for me. And a very, very happy um, 
for 20 years as a parish priest, as an associate pastor in two parishes, and then uh, pastor of two other parishes uh, before being named bishop. And did you ever imagine on that ordination day that you would be named a bishop? Never, never. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was really committed to parish priesthood. Um, as a matter of fact, when Cardinal Keeler uh, called me into his office and the nuncio gave him permission to, to tell me that um, uh, St. John Paul II had named me as auxiliary bishop in Baltimore. Um, I objected to Cardinal Keeler by saying, Eminence, I have not been anything but a parish priest these 20 years. I've never worked in the chancery. Uh, I didn't go for an advanced degree in canon law or anything like that. So I, I do not feel really adequately prepared to become a bishop. And the cardinal's response to me was, well, 20 years in a parish is pretty good experience uh, for becoming a bishop. So I knew there was no arguing with him. And uh, when the church asked, you do it. But it was never anything in my life that I would have envisioned doing. And you picked as your Episcopal motto, serve the Lord with gladness, which I think is beautiful because the way you just shared your vocation story and how happy you were on your ordination day as a priest, it's really just been carried over as a bishop. Well, I, I feel that um, although this was not of my own choosing, uh, perhaps the priesthood too was not of my own choosing. We believe, believe the Lord calls each one of us to our vocation, uh, but yet it has brought uh, much joy to my own life. And I felt that uh, in reading Psalm 100, that one line always stood out for me was serve the Lord with gladness. And so I wanted that, uh, it was natural to pick that as an Episcopal motto. Uh, and I've kept that motto for, for almost 20 years as a bishop. Pope Francis has a line in the joy of the gospel where he says, we can't uh, serve the Lord and go around looking like we just come from a funeral all the time too. So I think that gladness really is, I mean, the joy of the gospel is a great document, right? So that, that gladness really is just a mark of a mature missionary disciple. It doesn't mean life's not hard, but you have hope in knowing who's won the victory in the final, in the final test. And you know, it's hard to believe that we're at the 10th anniversary of the joy of the gospel. And, uh, for me, what was so different about the joy of the gospel is that uh, it is so readable for everyone. It, it's so practical advice. It's almost like um, having someone put their uh, hand on your shoulder and give you great advice as to how to live. That's what I feel uh, about uh, that encyclical, The Joy of the Gospel. And Pope Francis has so much in there that's so practical. Pope Francis reminds us that the church has an ecclesial dimension, that we're part of something larger. And in being part of something larger, we participate in the mission of Christ in the world. And what a great responsibility and a great grace that's placed upon us in our baptism and our confirmation is to live out that discipleship following the Lord Jesus and witnessing the Lord Jesus' life to others. And that's what the joy of the gospel is all about. If we're following the Lord Jesus, if we're living his gospel, how could we not help but be joyful? Because to be a person who looks outside of oneself is to be a person who really knows how to spread the love of God to others. 
And that, to me, is what the joy of the gospel is all about. I call it the Magna Carta of the church in the 21st century. Yeah, I remember the day it came out, I was home, I had a, a kid stick at home, and I got my iPad out, and I started highlighting things, and all of a sudden, the whole document was just highlighted, because the whole thing, it's, like you said, it's just, it's just jam-packed with not, not only like nice ideas about the faith and evangelization, but also some really just practical challenges and things that if you pray with them, it becomes like an examination of conscience as far as like a gut check in, in terms of how you're living your own personal faith life. He calls you to encounter the Lord daily, mm-hmm. uh, to remember the graces the Lord has given you, and then th- that sends you out. And then he does get into some really practical social outreach ideas and how the church engages society. And And I think we're still, we're still really just starting to unpack that document. And I really see it as a continuation of of the man who named you a bishop, of, of Pope John Paul II's call for that new evangelization. His ministry was was geared towards unpacking the Second Vatican Council and helping us live that well. And Pope Francis has really taken that mantle up to help us continue to be able to go out to the world. Um, you know, the council saw a society that was on the precipice of, of decline in terms of the practice of the Catholic faith. And it was really um, prophetic in so many ways of preparing us to go to a world that was going to be different. Uh, we, we interviewed Father Hazing recently. He talked about you know, the church was responding to what had been the bloodiest century in human history, right? You, world War I, World War II, all these uh, terrible atrocities, the Holocaust that had gone on. And the church saw that something is shifting and we have to train people that the, the open doors that we have are good and important, but we have to do so much more. We have to be a church which goes forth. And it's been a real, a real hallmark of the, the Francis papacy, I think. Well, I remember a few years ago, uh, I met a gentleman at an event, and he said to me, um, Archbishop, he said, uh, Bishop, do you like Pope Francis? And I said, yes, I really do. He said, um, well, let me tell you something. He said, uh, at church this past Sunday, uh, the homily was all about Pope Francis. I said, really? And he said, now, you may not think that's unusual. He said, but I'm Episcopalian. Oh, wow. So I said, well, you know, Pope Francis indeed does cross the lines, the boundaries of religion in the way that uh, he reaches out to others. But also, I said, Pope Francis is a challenging person. He's not afraid to challenge us. And uh, to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable at times is to, like Jesus did, didn't let people exactly where they were after they encountered Jesus. They we're given a challenge to come a little further. As St. John Paul II used to say many times, to go deeper, to go deeper into the practice, into the knowledge of our faith. And Pope Francis calls us to do that uh, too, Uh, but I think in a challenging way in kind of opening up our perspective as to knowing that our faith might not just be exactly what we think it is, but rather opening us up uh, to the grace of God, to a wider world, and to looking at the world through God's eyes. And I think that's a great transition. You know, the we've responded to some of the decline or, or tried to uh, in the church globally, universally, also here in, in St. Louis. And when we see the world through and the church through God's eyes, we can't help but see hope. So, Archbishop, in your time here in St. Louis, in your time as a priest and a bishop, where have you experienced and seen hope in the church? I've experienced and seen hope in so many different places. So I've, I've seen it in our young people. Uh, my gosh, last year, last January, 
to see 17,000 people come to St. Louis, most of them young people, all with the thought of sharing our faith and of living and celebrating our faith. That uh, event itself was uh, a scene of inspiration and hope that I hope will be played out again this year, this coming year, in January of 2024, when uh, the Sikh conference meets again here in St. Louis. So we're doubly blessed. Yeah, we had a lot of people who got that first taste and they want to bring some friends. That's correct. That's wonderful. Uh, I, I see it in our different uh, ways in which people are learning about the faith, in our different groups that meet in our parishes, um, in our adult formation program uh, that, uh, th- that our archdiocese runs with Sister Kathleen Ronan and all those who assist with her. Gosh, signs of hope of lay people wanting to really go deeper in learning about their faith, and not only for themselves— but also to learn about the faith, to be able to serve others uh, through the knowledge that they've gained. Uh, I, I see it at Mass with so many young families, and I want to say to parents of young children, bring your children to Mass. Their cries and their laughter and their speaking out sometimes during Mass is a sign of life to all of us. And their presence and your presence really is a sign of hope for the church. So bring your children to Mass, whatever age they are. We want you there. We yeah. need you there. It's not crying, you're dying, right? So That's a, correct. a young church is noisy, and we need to be comfortable with that. Correct. Yeah, we've had um, you know, our fair share of challenges in the church here in St. Louis, but I really do see, um, like you mentioned, that Sea Conference is, is providentially here twice. They've never been in the same city two years in a row. And I think as far as equipping disciples for mission, they've got some of the best people doing that uh, in the presentations and the talks. And I'm so excited to see, um, I know even just the priests who came last year were really edified by being a part of the liturgy of, you know, procession of 400 priests walking, and it's really something incredible. It it really is. And to uh, witness so many young people who are on fire with the faith and want to bring that faith to others is just such an inspiration. So for you in St. Louis, if you're able to come down to any part of the Sikh conference, particularly on the Wednesday night of Eucharistic Adoration, uh, to be in an amphitheater with uh, 10,000-plus other people adoring the Lord Jesus it is an edifying experience, and it's an experience that brings to me, and I'm sure to any who attend, uh, great hope in seeing that devotion to our Eucharistic Lord and bringing our Eucharistic Lord from there out to the byways and the highways. Yeah. After Seek last year, you wrote an article in Catholic St. Louis Magazine, kind of highlighting the conference a little bit and really highlighting the good work that Focus has done all throughout the country trying to evangelize college students. Now, again, I'm a little biased because I was a missionary for four years, and I owe them a lot in terms of formation on understanding evangelization, but also just human formation and challenging me to be a leader and a man and, and, and the people who poured into me. And kind of the tagline of your article was, Be Disciples Who Make Disciples. 
And in my work in, in the evangelization office, we've really kind of taken that as our rally cry in many ways, that we need all be disciples who make disciples. And I've kind of, in my mind, I break that down into two parts, right? First is just be a disciple and then make a disciple. So maybe could you just talk about each of those? If, if we're all challenged to first be a disciple of Christ and we talk about encounter, grow, witness as our paradigm, what does it mean or how could you maybe challenge some of the faithful of the archdiocese to enter into that first part to really be a disciple? What does that look like? Well, you know, uh, with all of the spin and the ads, the Wall Street ads and all to sell things today, I think people still recognize authenticity. And to be a disciple means to be an authentic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to be a person of prayer, means to be a person who knows our faith and who learns about our faith each and every day. It means a person who's willing to witness to the power of Jesus in his or her life and how Jesus has touched each person's life and how our lives can affect others' lives in a positive way. So we see throughout history examples of not only the saints but also regular people who were able to transform others' lives because they were authentic witnesses of the Lord Jesus. So the world recognizes authenticity. So to be a follower, a true disciple of Jesus, immersed in prayer, uh, immersed in learning of the faith, and in living out the faith is certainly what is needed in our world today. And being a disciple being an authentic disciple attracts others to Christ because they say, I want what that person has in my life. I want that deep sense of peace, that deep sense of happiness. And we see so much upset, so, so much um, cries for help in our world. I, I think we see it in, in addictions and uh, we see it in the ways in which people are using uh, social media. So there's so many cries for help. But an authentic disciple attracts good disciples for the Lord. I think that's what we're called to do. Yeah, and we think about the idea of making a disciple that can be a little uncomfortable, right? Like there's not a disciple factory or a process we can put them through. But really, I think that our first witness is, like you've said, that witness of love and the witness of mercy. And if we can bring Christ's love and mercy to the world, and again, you know, sometimes we speak it out loud and sometimes we just show it by the way we serve. We don't serve people because they're Catholic. We serve them because we are and because mm -hmm. Christ has put that love into our hearts. And then I think too, uh, and we we talked to Father Va Tom Vordtree not too long ago, and, and he said uh, he had, you know, 24 people in RCIA recently because because he asked them. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that sometimes I think we think people are um, going to learn by osmosis or people are going to learn just by being around. And I think that the command of go and make disciples reminds us too that sometimes uh, we, never, we never do it by force. We never force conversion or, or force the gospel on anyone, but really by invitation and by asking those really good questions sometimes. And uh, Pope Benedict said it in a wonderful way. He said, we do not force the faith, we propose the faith. And in proposing the faith, we're really proposing the truth of the gospel. And people are attracted to the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And I think that really ties in well with what's going on in Rome right now as well, is this 
idea of synodality. There's a synod on synodality happening, and and really uh, the way we like to talk about that is just it's on listening, and it's on really the method of evangelization, which is accompaniment and journeying with someone through the highs and lows, not being afraid to enter into the mess, not being afraid of someone because they don't fit our preconceived uh, ideas of what a disciple looks like in our everyday life, and and listening to them and understanding their story, showing them love, showing them Christ's love, and then just helping them ask the right questions sometimes. And that's what uh, Pope Francis spoke about. I still remember uh, deep in, in my mind is the uh, homily that Pope Francis preached at the beginning of the Synod when the gospel was about the rich young man who encountered Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? And Jesus told him, and he said, is there anything else I might do? Jesus said to him, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And we're told that the rich young man went away sad, for he had many possessions. But Pope Francis said in there, there was encounter, there was listening, and Jesus' willingness to accompany the man. So we find all of the elements of what it takes uh, to really be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, but a disciple maker too. The ability to listen, the ability to encounter another, where they are, and the ability to accompany them. And that's what this synod is all about. As we try to apply that to our parishes, um, you know, the place, again, where just relationships happen so much. We spend, you know, my kids go to, to Catholic grade school, and, and I'm spending 10 years with the same families on the sidelines and at soccer games and, and doing all those different things. So what does that look like? I know we can do it individually, but maybe sometimes as a parish, we're not always as comfortable with those ideas of, of creating those spaces for, for that kind of encounter and dialogue to happen. Any, any thoughts on, on ways we can challenge our, our institutions to get better at that as well? Certainly. Well, I've heard of one parish, a great idea, at their Lenten fish fries. And we know that our Lenten fish fries at our parishes attracts people of all different faiths and people of no faith. So they have cards at the table that uh, invite people to come to Mass or invite people to uh, explore deeper their faith. So that's just a little, as we would say, low-hanging fruit way of, of inviting people into, uh, into the church. Also, uh, just if they're on our grounds— in uh, CYC uh, sports programs or, or fish fries or uh, different events, what does it hurt to invite someone? As a matter of fact, to invite someone means to show you care about them. So let's invite folks to join us. Yeah, so as we wrap up this conversation, Archbishop, one of the things we always try to leave people with is just maybe two or three really practical ideas of what they can do in their personal life. So, you know, we want to renew our parishes. Joy of the Gospel talks about a missionary renewal across everything, our times, languages, structures. That kind of changes harder and takes a little more time. But individually, there's no need to wait for your parish to get started as trying to, to learn to evangelize in your day-to-day -day life. So maybe just a couple of practical tips from you for folks they can integrate into their day-to-day -day life. Certainly. It all has to start in prayer. And prayer is what really puts us in touch with God and puts us in touch with the vocation that God has called us to live. 
And each of us in our vocation, whether it's the archbishop, uh, whether it's a single person, a married person, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, we're all called to be disciples. So prayer puts us in touch with that discipleship. That's crucial. Uh, secondly, don't be afraid to learn more about our faith because there's so much. Our faith is so rich. It's so vast and wide. And think of the 2,000-year history uh, and beyond. So let's learn about our faith. Let's know what our faith is about. And thirdly, let's not be afraid to say what difference our faith means in our own lives. And I think when people hear that, they're attracted to that. If faith has done this for me, what could it do for another person? So don't be afraid to speak about how faith has made a difference in your life. Yeah, I think we're I think we're on the same page because you just outlined those three steps of our path of discipleship process, right? Encounter the Lord, grow in that relationship, and and give that witness regularly. So I'm glad we're on the same page here. I'm glad too. <laughs> I think it's Thank actually you. the Holy Spirit speaking into it because that that kind of um, methodology has been uh, coming up from a lot of different places in the church, and I certainly, think it's really um, certainly. It's been a challenge to me because no matter where you are on your faith journey, you're called to continue to go one step deeper. Correct. Great. That's well, good. would you uh, close us with a prayer here today, Archbishop? Lord, our God, we thank you for this gift of faith, which nourishes and sustains us, which draws us closer to you, to our church, and to one another. Continue, Lord, to inspire us with the grace of the Holy Spirit by making us true disciples of your Son. And may we who seek to follow him in our lives always allow others to follow him through our example. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for this opportunity. Great to be with you today. You too. All right. That was Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky. Thank you so much for making the time. And really, I just want to encourage each and every one of you just to stop right now and to pray for Archbishop Rosansky and really all those who lead our church and our parishes. They do uh, so much work that goes unnoticed behind the scenes, and they're really working hard to make sure we can become a more missionary church. So thank you, Archbishop. We're praying for you and know that we are all out here on mission together to go and make disciples. 